Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Welcome home, family. So glad to see everyone here worshiping with us. I need to do something I forgot to do a couple weeks ago, and that is uh, Marlena recently joined singing for us. Not to call you out. I like to introduce and celebrate everyone who uh, gives us their time and energy the first time they help lead us in music, and I forgot to do that for her, but it's okay. I forgot to do it for two sons who help us too. So uh, I hit you on the second time. Just keep it even with the whole family so that no one can say I like one more than the other. So uh, welcome. We are finished that. Uh, and just to catch you up of where we, is, where we are in the book, we're just going to be at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. And so you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but don't worry, it's going to be on the screen when we reach that part as well. But we've seen how Paul is talking to this church in Thessalonica. And this church is a, a baby church. He was taken away from them really early because he had planted this church and riots had broken out and he had to flee and so he's writing them because he's concerned about where they stand because he's not, he wasn't there when he helped like, uh, to really see that they were firmly planted in totality. And so he's writing them. And so the first kind of message we talked about was how he has heard about their faith and how their faith was sounding forth and how they were living that truly. And then we had talked about how he, he uh, cares for them like a mother and a father and how he's, he's kind of giving a blueprint for discipleship, how they should be trained in the faith. And then last week we talked about how he was so confident because they were receiving the truth of the gospel as the very word of God, and that's what they were standing firm in. And now we're going to see just a, more about how he cares for this church in this passage, and starting in chapter 2, verse 17, and going through chapter 3, verse 5. So that's where we're going to be today, but before we get there, let's go. When we can praise your holy name, when we can sit under your truth. Lord, I just pray for this time as we open up your word and read it, that we can truly see you. We can see how we are supposed to respond to the gospel. We can see what this community is supposed to be like. Lord, I just pray for this whole church, that we can be your people, we can do what you've called us to do, we can follow you where you direct us, that we can be yours. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. So they shall know us by our bumper stickers? Oh, they shall know us by our social media posts. Oh, wait, no, they're going to know we're Christians by the trendy T-shirts we wear. Or maybe by how we vote. Or maybe because we use the right language. Or maybe they'll know us by some other marker. How will people know that we are Christians? Well, Jesus actually gave us the answer in the Gospel of John. In John chapter uh, 13, verses 34 through 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, so you must also love one another. By, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another by our love. And that is what we see when we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and on. We see Paul's love for the people of Thessalonica. He cared for them. He treasured them. 
He wanted what was best for them. He, he spoke of term, in terms that show how the Christian community should be based on this love. So let's read. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 17. If you don't uh, have your Bibles, don't worry. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Quick little plug that if you are a note taker and you liked taking notes, we still have some of the scriptural journals out there in the lobby that have 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians in one book. You can write notes in it. You can look in that at the lobby after service. But starting in verse 17, it says this. Paul speaking, carrying on his thoughts about how he loves them, how he's seen, how they take, accepted his words, the, the, the truth of the gospel as the word of God. He says this, But since we were ter- torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, and person nine heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is, is it not you? For you are a glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, to the, in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. What are we to pull from these verses? Well, I'd offer this simple thing, that Christ's followers love like Christ. When we read this, we see Paul's love put forward as an example, as maybe a, a great example of what it means to love the Christian community, to love his brothers and sisters in Christ, that he's writing about how he desires to see them, he wants to be with them, he's concerned for them, he's sending help to them. Why? Because he loves them. That because he knows the love of Christ, that love of Christ has changed him from the inside out, and now he becomes a person who sees the family of God and cares for them, and he longs for them, and he wants what's best for them, and so he loves just like Christ loved him. That Christ followers love like Christ. That we see this in several kind of steps. We see this first because he's actually showing genuine concern for them. He, and that Christians should actually show genuine concern for each other. In, in Paul's case, he starts out about how he, he was torn away from them. If you read in Acts 17, we see how Paul planted this church in Thessalonica and how he planted this church and he went to the synagogue first and some, people, some Jews believed and he went out to the, the Gentiles, the, the Greeks, and they, they were believing as well, but some people were seeing this and they got mad, they were upset, and so this caused riots to the extent that Paul, Silas, and Timothy had to skirt town. They left, and they left actually the, probably the leader of this newfound church, Jason, holding the bag, where he's pulled in front of the authorities, and he's kind of like, hey, he's suffering because he was this new Christian leading this new church, and Paul knows this is happening and he's writing, he has just concern for them because he describes it as being torn away from them. That he didn't want to leave. 
He cared for them. He wanted to be with them. He wanted to help them grow in the faith, establish us. We're forced to leave physically. We were not forced in heart. He says in, that uh, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, because he says we're still connected. We still love you. You still have our hearts. We're still concerned for you. We're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And he still thinks about them, prays about them, and wants what's best for them. He, and he desires to see them. It says how he, he had this, he uh, uh, endeavored the more eagerly with a great desire to see you face to face. That he wanted to be with them, see them. Know them. It reminds me of one of my favorite, favorite verses in this book, which is back in verse 8 of chapter 2 when he says, So being effectually desirous of you, we are eager to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear for, to us. That Paul had shared not just the gospel, but his very self with them. And so he wanted to come back to them, see them face to face, grow together, know them, enjoy them. He had a genuine, genuine concern for these Christians, which makes me ask myself, and I would ask you as well, love for your brother and sister in Christ. That when we look around to each other, right here, do we have that same love? Would we say express it in the even somewhat the same way? Would we say, man, I have longed to see you. I want to be with you. That when we rather gather together on a Sunday morning, are we instantly like, man, I've been waiting all week for this, and I'm sorry our schedules could not have aligned sooner. We're busy, but now we're together, and this fills me with joy. Why? Because I love you. I love you. I understand that's hard. I can barely say I love you to my parents. Chances are, it's going to be hard to say I love you to someone who's not flesh and blood. But that's what Paul is expressing. That the Christian community is one such that loves each other. They want to be with each other. That when we wake up on a Sunday morning, we should feel, be filled with excitement. Not just because we get to hear the word of God, which should fill us with joy. Not just because we get to sing songs and pray to him, which should also fill us with joy. But we get to be with the family of God. And these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love them. They might be annoying sometimes. I might not even have associated with them if I did not have this connection. And I love them and I want to be with them. Why? Because Christ followers love like Christ. That's what the Christian community is supposed to be. We have this genuine concern and care and love for each other. Now, I love this church for one of those reasons is that when people come and they speak about how they're greeted, they feel warmly welcomed. They feel like they are loved, and that's a great thing. It's so sad to me and shocking to me. I've heard so many stories of people who are looking for churches, and they tell experiences of walking in churches where they don't feel cared for or loved or concerned, and actually there's cold shoulders presented to them. And how weird is that? That we are a community based on love, Christ's love. Shouldn't that love be in our hearts overflowing to all of those people we see, especially those who are walking in 
our community of the faith? That we have a love for each other. We care for each other. We want what's best for each other. Why? Because Christ followers love like Christ. But he goes further. He actually goes further about his love because he talks about how these believers in Thessalonica are his joy. When he talks about, for what is our hope or our joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. That Paul, we have seen as we've been saying this whole book, that he sees these believers in, in, in Thessalonica as spiritual sons and daughters. That earlier in, in verse 2, he talks about this in, this in this way. In verse 7, how he speaks about, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And then in verse 11, he says, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you. He really viewed these believers as his spiritual sons and daughters. He cared for them. He had, he had seen them kind of been birthed into the new life. And he wanted them to grow and become strong and bold in their faith. And so he has this concern for them. But he also has this great joy, this present reality of joy for them, joy about them. Because he can look at these believers who have responded to the gospel, who have been changed, whose faith is sounding forth, where people are getting word of this church planted in this town, and he has great joy that the gospel took hold and rooted there. His great joy, joy over them to help plant this joy, this, this church. He had this tremendous amount of joy in the fact that they were believers. But he also viewed them as his crown of boasting. It's interesting, this language of crown, Paul speaks about it frequently through the New Testament, talking about receiving a crown of life or receiving a crown of righteousness. But here he's talking about a crown of boasting. This idea of this crown is really carries that concept of if you ran a race and you finished first, you would receive kind of the laurel crown. It would put it there put on you, kind of celebrate that you were the winner. And he's saying, this is our crown of boasting, that when Jesus Christ comes again, which is our great hope, he says, what can I bring to the table except the people who know him because I preached his word? Now we can kind of shrink back from that a little bit because he was like, crown of boasting, Paul, we're not supposed to boast. And Paul would agree about that. Because elsewhere in, in, in the Corinthians, he talks about how he does not boast in anything except Christ crucified. How in Jeremiah says, hey, the strong man boasts in his strength, the rich man boasts in his, in his riches, the wise man boasts in his wisdom, but we should boast in one thing and one thing only, that we know God. That's the truth of the Bible, that we boast in God. What is Paul saying here is that I'm boasting in the fact that God has seen the truth of how the gospel can come into a dark, idol-worshiping city, and all of a sudden, boom, there's a church praising God. And he boasts in that. He says, when Jesus returns, I'll get to stand before him knowing that it's not my own doing, but his spirit, based on the word of God, that changed lives. But I can just stand before him and say, God, check it out. Look at this church. Look about how you used me to start people knowing you. He says that is his, his joy 
present reality, that he, he is joyous that they know Christ, and then this future glory that he can look towards them and celebrate that they have been changed by God. That he boasts in that. And he uses this language again and again about these churches that he helped found or he helped get started. He looks back upon them and he, he kind of says, isn't it great to see how God has been working? In Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. And we see he uses this language that these believers are his present joy. He's so glad that they have come to know Christ, but they also are his crown, that he can look forward to the future and know that he has not run this race and is at work. Well, just like his love for Christians challenges us to ask how we love Christians, this same thing can challenge us when we ask ourselves, what is our joy and what is our crown? What is our joy? In the present daily life, where do we find joy? Where do we find a sense of, of, of being glad to be around people? That Paul would say, you should find your joy actually in the community of God. That when you're around believers, when you're around God's people, you should be filled with joy because you're around your brothers and sisters. That you should have this immense joy of being part of his body. Yeah, we have joy in all the good gifts that he's given us. We have joy in the great things we can experience in this life. But fundamentally at heart, where do we look for joy? Where do we find joy? Where do we find that complete joy? It's being with God's family because we know we're with our people. Where is your joy? And what can you boast in? That we can ask that question when Jesus returns, because Paul says this is what... He's going to boast in when Jesus comes again, when Jesus returns, and we stand before him. We know we are saved by grace through our faith. We know it's nothing that we have life I've given you. What have you done with the opportunities I have provided for you? What have you done with that glorious gospel that I have given to you to spread? What can we say, this is how I responded with the life you have received, you have given me. How can we boast and say, I have raised my family in your ways, Lord, trusting in you to bring them to faith. I have sought opportunities to speak your truth with love with my neighbors, with my coworkers, with everyone I know. I have done what you've called me to do, and so I can boast in how you have used me to be yours in this world. Not to get in, not to earn, but as a response of the great life in Christ he's given us. What do we boast? Can we say, I have invested in your people, God. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. Because Christ followers love like Christ, which means responding and viewing his community, our joy, and boasting in how we've been used by him. But not only that, Paul has a genuine concern for these people's spiritual health. He says, when he was made sure they had not wandered astray, to make sure they were not pulled off the path, he sent Timothy. If you read the, the, the uh, book of Acts, or you read the whole, actually, 
New Testament, you see that Timothy actually was sent by Paul to many places. He was sent to Ephesus. He was sent to Corinth. He was kind of Paul's hitman, right? Maybe a troubleshooter would be a better term. But he was Paul's right-hand man, right? When Paul needed someone, someplace strengthened, when he needed a church built up, what, who did he send? He said, Timothy, get in there. And so Timothy went back to uh, Thessalonica. Why? Because he was sending him because he cared for them. He could not be there himself. He was, he was hindered by Satan for actually returning there. Things were happening. He was furthering his mission, going, continuing his missionary journey, but he could send Timothy. And so Timothy went. And he sent Timothy for a purpose, to establish and to exhort them in their faith. He sent Timothy first to establish them. Because if you remember, this was a baby church. A lot of people think that Paul actually was probably torn away from them before he could give them all that he wanted to give them, before he could give them all they needed to know. And so he was, he was concerned that they might be easily led astray by false teaching or maybe the persecution was coming and would lead them astray. And so he sent Timothy, why? To establish them, to firm them up, to make sure, to make sure that they had that foundation to build on with their faith. But he also sent, them, sent Timothy to exhort them, to strongly encourage them. Exhort has this kind of this meaning of kind of urging someone, encouraging someone to live up to what they've been called to do, to follow suit, to kind of live the life of faith. That sometimes exhorting, the strongly encouraging can, can take the, the um, guise of strong words that might offend some people. The reality is Tim, Timothy might have shown up back in Thessalonica and had to strongly encourage people to put down those idols again. That he could have showed up in the church and strongly encouraged them to stay true to who God has called them to be. That he could have strongly encouraged them to follow that narrow path of Christ. That he would strongly encourage them to exhort them in the truth. Because Paul loved them, Timothy loved them, and the truth needed to be known. People needed to stay on that path of who God was. That's not always fun, is it? If you've ever had lived in had that experience when you loved your brothers or sister in Christ and you've seen how they are going astray or maybe they are listening to things they shouldn't as they're headed away from Christ. You had to step in the way and exhort them. Look back to your Savior. Look back to Christ. Know Him. Follow Him. And that was the task Timothy was set to go and encourage them to again look to Christ. Because they could have been, as he says, moved by this affliction they were experiencing. you got to remember that Acts paints this picture. Paul, Timothy, Silas were torn away from them. They had to flee. Why? Because riots were happening. The town was in turmoil. Why? Because the gospel was being preached. And these Christians were drawn, were pulled in front of this whole, there's the whole Colosseum kind of in front of the leaders, and they had to stand firm on their faith and say, we have done nothing wrong. And you can imagine that probably did not stop once they went back home. That this persecution, this turmoil was continuing in this town as people saw a threat to the way of life, a threat to their culture as people were turning away from idol worship to the living God. And they had to stand firm, and so they were experiencing affliction, persecution. 
And so Paul knows if this is true, if this is happening, they could easily say, this is not worth it. It's so much easier to go with the flow. It's so much easier not to stand firm on your truth, not be overwhelmed by the affliction. He sent Timothy so that he could establish him on a foundation that does not move. He says that they would not be moved by affliction. He wanted them firmly rooted in the truth. I couldn't help but when I was reading that to think about how in certain parts of countries like California, when they build new houses, when they build buildings, they have to make them earthquake proof, right? They have to make sure the foundation can be rated to withstand a certain movement. And that's what he's doing with Timothy. Timothy's going here to make their faith earthquake proof. That he wants their foundation firm. He wants it stable. He's going to exhort them to follow Christ no matter what. So that when affliction that's already happening comes, they will not be moved. They'll stand on the word of God, and no matter what comes their way, they will trust in him. But not just firm and stable. He says at the very end of the passage that he was concerned why he had this fear that somehow the tempter could have tempted them and that all he had done in their lives would have been in vain. That he recognized that there is an enemy against God. And that enemy whispers lies in the ears of everyone. That enemy's goal is to take people's eyes off of Christ. And he says, I was fearful of that, so I sent Timothy. Why? It's because when he makes he'll also make it proof against the temptations of the tempter. That when, when the tempter whispers those lies, accusing you of who do you think you are. You're no better than anyone else. You can look him in the eye and say, you're right. I am no better than anyone else because it's not about me. I did not save myself. It was not through my effort. It was not through my skill. It was not through my good looks. It was not through anything I bring to the table. It's through Christ. And so when the whispers of the enemy seek to warm into your ears and tell you you're not good enough, you can say, you're right, I'm not good enough. Praise be to God. When the enemy whispers and say, wouldn't it be better to go over there and do what the world is doing? You can look at them and say, no, it's not, for I see the glories of God, and they far outweigh anything temporary here. We can look at our enemy, and when he tempts us, we can say, it's not a temptation anymore, for we have truly tasted and seen that God is good. And we know the salvation we have in Christ. And it happens And Paul is concerned for me, and so he sends Timothy to firm them up so they can respond in this way. Why? Because Christ followers love like Christ. Which again is that challenge for us. Do we see our brothers and sisters in that same way? As they are going away from God and plead with them to look to their Savior, Do we care enough to exhort them, to help establish them, to walk side by side with them and stumble towards the cross? Do we care enough to speak those words with love, with conviction, helping each other when we stumble because we stumble and we need a helping hand and when they stumble, they need a helping hand and that we need each other to live for Christ? Do we have that concern for each other? Do we want to be built up by those who are more mature? And in turn, do we want to build up those who need to be built up in our lives? That if we truly love like Christ, we should have that concern for our brothers and sisters. 
that we are willing to stand firm, exhort them, teach people not to be moved by the ways in which the world can come against them, but speak that truth of the gospel where we can all stand together in the finished work of Christ. If we love each other, I would say that should be our concern and our habit with each other. Because Christ followers love like Christ. So when you're looking at this passage and we see the love of this community, I think we see an example of how we're called to love. That people see, because it's the mark of a disciple of Christ. That when people see you with the family of God, they should see us loving each other, caring about each other, being concerned about each other, walking alongside each other. That we love each other because we truly are God's family. Also means that we, we seek to build each other up. That we invest our time and energy and thoughts and prayers and efforts in each other as we're invested in in turn. That we build each other up, helping each other grow in our faith. Through Bible studies, through small groups, through all the different kind of ways we can gather together, through one-on-one means, for just friendship, true friendship with each other, we build each other up to keep our eyes on Christ. We love, we build, and then we protect. And when we see our brothers and sisters, we protect them oh, against the enemy. We protect them against the ways of the world. We protect them against their own deceptive thoughts. We seek to protect each other because we love each other. And that might mean we, we risk our friendships to speak the truth in loving ways, but we do. Why? Because we care for one another. So we love, we, be, we seek to be there for each other, to be a true gospel community centered on the word of God pointing each other towards Christ. Because Christ's followers love like Christ. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word. That we can read it, we can know it, we can respond to it. That we can see the truth of how you have loved, how you have moved. That we can see the truth about how we're supposed to live in community with one another. To love one another, to care for one another. And it all happens because of the gospel that has made us new. It all happens because Christ has saved us. And so, Lord, I just pray for this church. That is my wish, it's my prayer that this church can be marked by love. That these members can see it as their task, their duty, their joy to be in each other's lives, to build each other up that all of us can seek to protect one another from the ways that could lead us astray. Lord, we love you, we seek you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Adam. You guys want to stand and join us in one last song today.